Good morning, Grace Chapel. If you have any children, preschool through fifth grade, you're dismissed right now. You head back and you're uh, going to be taken care of for the morning. And we're going to learn today. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, question. Question for y'all. Do I have a guardian angel? I got some yeses, I got some noes. Good, I like this. Do you? Do you have some angel that follows you around wherever you go, day to day, invisible? Um, do some people have an angel and others don't? Where are the angels right now? Like, like where are they? Uh, where do they live? Do they go home at the end of the day? Do they sleep at night? How powerful how influential are angels in our lives? How powerful, how influential are angels in the politics of the United States of America? So there are, so they're good angels, right? And there are bad, evil angels, right? How did that happen? And what is our relationship with angels as followers of Jesus Christ, supposed to be like? Well, the word for today is? Here we go. There we go. Here. Word for today is? Angelology. That's right. Okay, so finally we get a word we all understand. Um, angel. Uh, angelology. It's the study of angels. So what we're going to do this morning together is we're going to take a whirlwind tour of angels from the Bible, not from the internet, Okay, not from movies, not from books. We're going to look at God's Word. So after today, you are all going to graduate and get your wings. Do you remember that scene at the end of It's a Wonderful Life? You remember that scene where all angels get to... It's, it's wrong, okay? It's totally wrong. Absolutely not a shed of truth. It is a, a lie. Okay, so sorry to destroy your favorite movie. Are angels... First question... Are angels created beings? Okay, that's the first question. Angels from the Bible have not always existed. Um, they are part of the universe that our God created. All right, we'll get that down. We're going to look at some passages, in, in, actually in, in a passage that refers to angels as the host of heaven, or you could translate that the armies of heaven. In the Old Testament, Ezra says this in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Ezra says... You are the Lord. You alone. Okay, that's a fact. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host. And you've made the earth and all that is on it and seas that are all in, in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. And in the New Testament, Paul tells us in Colossians 1.16 that God created all things visible and invisible through Christ and for Jesus Christ. And then Paul specifically includes in that statement the angelic world with the phrase, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. So, question, first question for you, class. So, are angels created beings? Very good. Yeah, good. So, that's good. So far, so good. So, when were angels created? Do we have any idea 
when we look at God's Word. And it appears when you look at Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that angels were most likely created, probably must have been created sometime before the seventh day of the creation week. Sometime before that. Why? Well, look closely at the summary statement that God through Moses gives us for creation in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. So in chapter 1, he lays it all out, and then it's a summary statement of what just happened in chapter 1. And it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And what? All the host of what? Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. And we usually understand in the Bible the word host to be the creatures, whether they're earthly or heavenly, that inhabit God's universe, which is made up of earth and the heavens. Even more explicit than this is a statement that's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Look at this. For in six days the Lord made, what? Heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, all the angels would have had to have been created by at least the sixth day of creation. Right? You following me? This is pretty logical. Now, here we go. Do we know what day? Of those six days, do we know on what day? Well, I think there might even be a hint of the creation of this angelic host, of the angelic beings that we're studying today on the first day of creation. Well, how do you know, Pete? Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created what? And the earth. Yeah, it's not just about us. <laughs> the heavens and the earth. And then immediately after, in verse 2, he follows it up with, the earth was without form and it was void. But no mention of the heavens. He created the heavens and the earth, and on the earth, he goes up. It doesn't say anything about the heavens. Could God, through Moses, be contrasting heaven and earth? The uninhabitable state of the earth that he's about to take care of, contrasted with the heavens, where he'd already created the angelic beings and assigned them their various roles and orders. And, and you might be saying, well, Pete, you know, I think that's a bit of a stretch. I think you're really reading into the text here. Well, maybe you'll see it as even more plausible when I read to you right now from Job chapter 38, verses 4 to 7, where God says to Job, where were you <laughs> when I laid the foundation of the earth? That's a rhetorical question because the answer is, I wasn't even here. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I, I was nowhere. You were the only one there, maybe. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Not there. Tell me if you have understanding, O oh, smart mortal. Because Job's been complaining, right? Like you and I do when things go bad. Who determined its measurements? Okay, it wasn't me. I'm starting to get it. Surely you know. Yeah, I do know. It was you. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Look at verse 7. Because when I was doing this, that was the same time when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy on that day, at that moment. The morning stars singing, the sons of God shouting, occurred at the time when God laid the foundations of the earth, sunk its bases in the process of forming it. If the angels who are described all through the Old Testament as the sons of God, 
along with the archangels, whose brightness in the Old Testament especially is portrayed as morning stars or day stars. If they shouted for joy when God was making the earth inhabitable, this really could imply that God created the angelic beings early on the first day of creation, at least according to my logic. Hopefully it might be yours. If they were indeed present to express praise to God like God says they were, just putting that out there, we mere mortals have only hints in Scripture So we have to remain content with the fact that God has not given us much information about the time of the creation of the angels. Now, there's been a lot of speculation. As I said earlier when I started, there's been a lot of movies, there's been a lot of books, both Christian and non-Christian, a lot of fiction, much of it apart from clear scriptural passages like you find on the internet every day. So it might appear to be somewhat not profitable some might even say useless, to pursue this much further than Scripture tells us. Like, there's a beautiful verse in Deuteronomy 29, 29, where Moses writes, the secret things, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, to Yahweh. We don't know. But the things that are revealed, that He has shown us, that are specifically in His Word to us and to uh, belong to us and to our children forever. Why? That we may do all the words of the law. There's a reason why God has revealed to us something about the angelic realm and beings and certain things. And when, I don't know about you, but when I consider angels from what I read in Scripture, and what God has revealed to me about them, I am more in awe of God than ever before. I praise Him even more. Now, sometime before the horrible day for humanity, or shortly after that infamous day, when the accuser tempted Eve in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, We read elsewhere in Scripture, especially in 2 Peter and in Jude, that a number of angels sinned, and they rebelled against God. And I would think it's safe to say that the fall of many in the angelic realm, who are in the Bible referred to as demons and evil spirits, occurred after the sixth day of creation. Why would I say that? Because in Genesis 1.31, after the sixth day, it says, and God saw everything that he had made, everything, and behold, it was very good. So the angelic realm at this point was very good. Had to be. Beyond this, Scripture gives us no further information. But here are a few highlights for you all regarding what we do know about angels from the Bible. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Angels exercise moral judgment. They're able to do this because some of them sinned and fell from their positions, as I just mentioned. Others remain faithful to God and do the right thing. So angels can make judgments about right and wrong. Okay, another thing. Angels have a high intelligence. We see them throughout Scripture, them communicating and speaking with people. The good ones, some very deep things from God. And from the bad ones, there's this subtlety 
Um, they're very perceptive and they're devious schemers. And angels, we read over and over again, sing praise to God, like we just did. So we are therefore, no, you can't make that conclusion. Angels sing praise to God, so it means that they're very intelligent because we all know that all musical people are intelligent. Can I get a shout out from the praise team? Okay, here we go. All right, good. Angels also are spiritual beings. Hebrews 1.14 says, are they not all, speaking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? They're spirits. So they don't ordinarily have physical bodies. Jesus said in Luke 24, 39 about them, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones. Interesting. It also appears that they usually can't be seen by us unless... God gives us the special ability to see them. As in Numbers 22, 31, it's a great story. <clears throat> Balaam, the bad prophet, had his eyes opened, and what did he see? He saw an angel with a sword who's about to kill him, and he's been beating his donkey who won't go past this angel with the sword because the donkey sees it, but he doesn't, and God opens his eyes, and he spares his life. As in 2 Kings 6.17, we read, Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes, his servant's eyes. He was so scared that he may see what I'm able to see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And in Luke 2.13, a verse that we read almost every Christmas, and suddenly, there was with the angel who was speaking to the shepherds, right, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. So it's like, bam, there they were. And it was like, boom, wow. So in their ordinary activities of guarding and protecting us, which we're going to look at shortly, and in their activity of joining in worship with us when we worship God, which we're going to look at later in Hebrews, they are invisible, However, from time to time, angels take on a bodily form to appear to various people in Scripture. Which brings me to a point that I get asked a lot, maybe you do too, and it's one of the questions I asked at the beginning. Do people have individual guardian angels? Hebrews 1.14 that I just read, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve? Interesting. Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Be good to strangers, because you never know. Now, those aren't really verses you could use for individual guardian angels who follow you around all day long, but Scripture clearly does tell us what? That God does send angels for our protection. Isn't that awesome? I don't often think, I don't wake up in the morning and think, huh, maybe an angel is going to be with me today. I don't, I don't, I should. He sends them for our care. Psalm 91, 11 and 12 says, the psalmist says, for he, his God, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. These are, this is a psalm, and these are the words that the accuser, 
the devil, an angel, twisted when he tried to tempt Jesus, remember? He tried to say, yeah, jump off the temple to prove that you are the Son of God. And some people have gone way beyond the idea of general protection that God affords us through the angelic hosts and wondered if God gives a specific guardian angel to each living individual in the entire world, or at least to each living Christian walking the planet. And some say that the support for this idea is found in Jesus' own words in Matthew 18.10. That where Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That's interesting, isn't it? And I believe a deeper study of this passage in its context, which you should always do, will show Jesus simply saying that angels who are assigned the task of protecting little ones, who in this context is a term for believers, in Jesus Christ of any age group, those angels have ready access to God's presence so that when God sees something, when God is obviously sees everything, and when God sees you in need and He says something, they react immediately and they move and respond accordingly. It's like, you know, God's like, ah, Peter's in trouble again. And boom, right, right to it, right? Their protection, though, I'm, I, I think, and I don't know this, I mean, because we don't know, I'm just guessing here, that it might be more like in athletics where you have, like, where you play zone defense, you know, to cover the ground instead of man-to-man. Maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit like that. Well, we don't know for sure. The bottom line is we don't know. I felt certain, have you? I have felt certain that there are times when there's been a special protection from God during a difficult moment. Anybody had any, anything like that? Yeah, yeah, quite a few hands. You know, someone just showed up, and then they were gone. It's like, wow. But is that an assigned permanent angel following Peter around all day, or is that just God being God? We don't know. In Acts 12, you think Peter would have had a guardian angel, right? I mean, of all the apostles, you think that he would have one. Well, an angel was sent to Peter, and he was freed and led out of prison through locked doors. So maybe it's a stretch based solely on the Word of God that each one of us has an individual guardian angel. Maybe, but, but be careful in claiming it. Rather, how about we all just claim our position in Jesus Christ before God? that we are one of His beloved children, bought with a price that He paid. How about we all rather just pray for each other's burdens and lift each other's burdens? Because God always answers, and sometimes it might be through an angel. I was on a mission trip in the Amazon in 2004, and we were ministering to small groups of indigenous people in very, very remote villages. And in one of those villages, there lived the relatives of some Alka Indians who had massacred five missionaries back in 1956. And this is the story we were told, that Rachel Saint, the sister of Nate Saint, one of those missionaries who was murdered on a beach, after they all, all the families, the wives and their kids, all went back to the United States after that, that massacre, she came back to Ecuador where it occurred. And in a few years, along with uh, Elizabeth Elliot, who was the wife 
of Steve Elliott, another one of those missionaries massacred, they were teaching the Bible inside these very Alka camps. And that was remarkable enough, right, that they were willing and burdened to go back to those that had killed wife and brother. It's even more remarkable that they were allowed to live <laughs> themselves with these natives in the, in the villages. But what, what they heard is what blew them away, and this is what we were told, that the Alkas welcomed them into their villages because they wanted to learn more about the five men that they had killed and their God, especially after seeing angels dancing and singing over the bodies of these men as they lay dead on the sandbar where they had just been speared. Isn't that wild? The Alkas said the angels were as bright as a thousand flashlights. And it was five years after those missionaries' deaths when the first Alka became a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And very soon after that, the entire Alka tribe was praising God, even the natives who had killed the men on that beach. Angels. I think we have a lot to learn. Now, are all heavenly beings the same? It's another question. Well, there are angels, which we've already seen, and there are also in Scripture three other specific types of heavenly beings, and they're named in Scripture. Um, whether we think of these as special types of angels under the angel group or whether we think of them as heavenly beings, other distinct from angels, doesn't, doesn't really matter. <laughs> I guess we're going to find out one day. They are created spiritual beings who serve and worship God. And the first one is the cherubim. Have you heard that name? The cherubim. The cherubim were given the task, initially, the first time we were introduced to them, of guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden so that no human could come back in and eat from the tree of life. Genesis 3.24. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword. I mean, this is wild, right? This flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, the flaming sword was a nice touch, but I'm thinking the cherubim itself would have deterred anyone just fine. God himself is said to frequently be enthroned on the cherubim, to travel on the cherubim, using them as his chariot. It's in Psalm 18, Ezekiel 10. Over the Ark of the Covenant that God had Moses make through these artisans, and they, they fashioned it out of gold. Um, over that Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament were two golden figures of cherubim with their wings stretched out over the uh, Ark, over the mercy seat, and it was there that God promised to come and dwell with His people between the cherubim on His throne. Exodus 25:22. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you of all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So the ancient Israelites would have had an idea of what cherubim looked like. Isn't that wild? Probably why the ark of the covenant was lost. Because there's going to be somebody today who'd be worshiping those cherubim. I guarantee you. The seraphim are the second one. And they're mentioned only in Isaiah. 
in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 to 7, and they're mentioned as just continually worshiping the Lord and calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I think we sing that quite often. And then the third group are the living creatures. Both Ezekiel and Revelation speak of um, other kinds of heavenly beings, and, the, and they're just called them living creatures. And I can see why. And they're around the throne of God. It's Ezekiel 1, Revelation 4. And man, are they ever wild looking. Like these are crazy looking beings. Scary. Listen, they, they have appearance like a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. And they are the mightiest representatives that God gives us of the various parts of God's entire creation. You've got wild beasts, domesticated animals, human beings, and birds. And they worship God continually. Are you catching a theme here? Worshiping God continually? Revelation 4.8. Listen to this. It's crazy. And the four living creatures, there's four of them, each of them with six wings, Forget about the eagle-looking man, ox, lion, are full of eyes. I mean, I've seen people try to draw this, and it's, it's not good. It, it's like, how do you draw an eagle, ox, lion, man, full of eyes, all around and within? Crazy. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who was and is and is to come. We really, we, right, we really have no idea of what it is to be exposed to the presence of God. I don't know what it would do to us in the current form we are in. I guess we just melt. Okay, are there other names for angels? Well, Scripture sometimes uses other terms for angels. They're called, you'll see them as the sons of God, holy ones, spirits, watchers, that's in Daniel, thrones, dominions, principalities, authorities, and powers. Well, so you got all these, this angelic host. Who's in charge? Well, of course, God's in charge. But, but is there anybody in charge? Well, one angel, Michael, is called an archangel. It's in Jude chapter 9. And it's a title that indicates rule and authority over other angels. He's the archangel. And in Daniel 10, 13, he's also called one of the chief princes, which suggests that what? There are more than one prince, one archangel. Michael is also called the protector of the Jewish people in Daniel, which suggests that there may be these archangels over various countries or people groups, both good and bad. As you read in Daniel, you'll see that. Michael also appears to be the leader over a particular angelic army described in Revelation chapter 12, 7 and 8. Now war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. We all know who that is. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they were defeated. And Paul tells us that when the Lord will return, which we looked at last week, when we looked at future things in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, when he returns, it's going to be with the archangel's call. Yeah, but there, besides Michael, there's another archangel that we know about. And he also appears to be in charge. And the archangel's description is called Lucifer. It's a descriptive name in the Old Testament that means day star or morning star. 
It's more a description. It's not really his name. He's also known by other descriptive adjectives like Satan, Satan, which means adversary or accuser. But he's given the name, even by Jesus, devil. And that means slanderer, deceiver. And he looks to have been, from the Old Testament, some kind of archangel, but through pride, he fell from that high-honored position. But the accuser appears to have retained his power and his strength. You go to Jude 9 and you read, but when the archangel Michael, who we know is like pretty powerful, fierce person, uh, being, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. They were having this tug and war with the body of Moses after he died. He, Michael, did not presume to announce a blasphemous judgment against the devil, but said, rather, the Lord rebuke you. He's pretty powerful. Michael wasn't even going to take that on. Now, do we know the names of other angels? Well, there's only two angels, really, in all of Scripture, other than the devil, that are specifically named. Michael, as we just mentioned, is one. And then there's the angel Gabriel. You heard of Gabriel? Heard of Gabriel? He's mentioned in Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9 as a messenger who comes to deliver words of wisdom to Daniel, which Daniel wrote down and you and I have today to read. Dan, uh, Gabriel is also identified as God's messenger to Zechariah at John the Baptist's birth and to Mary at Jesus the Christ's birth. And the angel answers Zechariah when he asks him, dude, what's going on? Uh, Luke 1.19, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. That's what I do. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. What a picture, huh? And Gabriel stands, and then God says, okay, this is what you do. And he goes and does it and comes back. That's his job. Sounds like a great job. Well, what kind of power do angels have? Because like in the movies and in books, they seem to be really, really powerful. Well, they apparently have very great power compared to you and I. They're called... Uh, you mighty ones who do His Word. They are called the powers. They are called dominions. They are called authorities. Angels are seemingly great in power and in might, more so than rebellious human beings. You see that in 2 Peter 2.11 and Matthew 28.2. And at least for this present time that you and I live in, um, our, our, our current earthly existence, we human beings, according to Hebrews 2.7, are made a little lower than the angels. And though the power of the angelic realm is great, and it is certainly not infinite. And this is where most of the stories get it wrong. Their power is given to them by God, and their power can be taken away from them by God. It's used by the good angels to battle against the evil demonic powers under the control and influence of the devil. And when the Lord returns, as we saw last week, we're going to be raised, as we saw last week, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, to a position higher than that of the angels. Paul tells this early Christian church, do you not know that we are to judge angels? That's yet to come. So angels are limited. Therefore, 
Satan is limited. I know it doesn't look like it, but you don't judge a book by its cover, do you? When we began the core faith uh, exercising beginning, uh, at the beginning of the summer, we began with God, theology, the study of God. And we noted that one thing about God is He's omnipresent. What does that mean? Yeah, He's, every, he's everywhere. I said, can I explain that? Absolutely not. Do I understand that? Certainly not. He's everywhere. Angels are not. Therefore, Satan, being an angel, is not. Come on, everybody. Not. Yeah, very good. Yeah, have fun with me. He's an angel. And this is made explicit when an angel comes to Daniel in uh, Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come, this angel, because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, another great prince, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. The idea that an angel can only be in one place at one time is consistent with the fact that angels are created beings. How fast can they move? Through the dimensions of time and space? I have no idea. <laughs> and Scripture is silent, but I'm thinking it's probably pretty fast. I got two take-home thoughts for us today as we looked at angels. Number one is this. Angels remind me, angels remind us of the greatness of God's love for us. How so? Well, though many angels sinned, none of them were saved. Think about that. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2, 4 that God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but he cast them into hell. And he committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. There's no hope. Jude says in Jude 6, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. We read in Hebrews 2.16, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. We see that in the, in the beginning, God created intelligent, moral creatures, humans and angels. And among the angelic creation, some rebelled, but God worked to provide redemption for none of them. Among the human creation, Everyone rebelled. You, me, everyone. Every human who has ever existed. But God provided, worked to provide redemption sufficient for all of them. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is patient towards you. He's not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. As, Peter sa as Paul says in Romans, we are all without excuse. And unfortunately, among humanity, not all will repent, even though they're given the opportunity, and not all will be redeemed, even though it's been provided. 
So takeaway, God loves us so much. It's indescribable. And I think of that when I think of angels. Number two, angels remind us that the unseen world is real. It's kind of a wake-up call every time we talk and study about angels. It's bigger than this, what you and I are looking at. Way bigger. The Sadducees in Jesus' day said in Acts 23, 8, that there is no resurrection. Okay, so they didn't believe in that. There's no angels, and there's no spirit world. Boy, were they wrong. <laughs> and today, people may deny the reality of anything they can't see, touch, explain, or prove with science. But the biblical teaching on the existence of angels is a constant reminder to you and I that there is an unseen world, and it's very real, and it's very active. And it's only when the Lord opened the eyes of Elijah's servant, as I read earlier, to the reality of this invisible world, that the servant saw what was really going on. In 2 Kings 6, 17, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. This great angelic army was sent to protect Elisha from the Syrian army that had come to get him. This ginormous, flaming, angelic horde to protect one guy. <laughs> you see, that's my God. That's what he does. The psalmist showed an awareness of the unseen world when, as he's writing these poetic, beautiful songs, he, he encourages the angels themselves to sing along because he gets it. He knows what they do. In Psalm 48, too, he says, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the hosts. Boy, did he get it. The author of Hebrews reminds us that when you and I worship together, which we're going to do in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, we actually in a spiritual way are coming into a heavenly Jerusalem to gather with, as the writer says, innumerable angels in festal gathering. Isn't that crazy? Hebrews 12, let me read it to you. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses, Moses is on the mountain. God has got thunder and lightning and all the stuff's happening. And even Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, who have called Jesus Christ Lord, who've trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation from your sin, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn. That's us. Jesus is the firstborn. We're his, aren't we? Who are enrolled in heaven. Are you enrolled in heaven? Is your name written in the book of life that we looked at last week? And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's me. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel ever could, calling out for justice. Do I get this? <laughs> well, I'm getting there, but it's really slow. We don't see this that I just read with physical eyes when we stand to worship, but one day we will. But the reality of God's continual presence should fill us with the same kind of praise and awe as it does in the angelic realm. An unbelieving world may dismiss talk of angels as mere superstition, but our Bible offers us insight 
into the state of world affairs as they really are. We should be encouraged. We should never be threatened. We should be secure. And we should always be found praising God like the angels. So would you rise with me? I can think of no better response than to worship with, with an encouraging hope and to carry into our world that is confused, uncertain, and without much hope this kind of news. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, and we're going to lift our voices, and we understand that around us in the heavens there is a host that bows its knee to you and to you alone, that serves you, that worships you, that responds to every inclination that is good. And Lord, we want to be found the same way. So we sing to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.